Well, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. As I'm standing up here, one of the things that I'm thinking about is all my church moms. I don't just have a mom that gave birth to me. I also have those moms out there that had to deal with me in Sunday school, deal with me in Awana, deal with me outside of church, because I was a handful. My mom can tell you that. But I'm also really grateful for my mom and just the way that she loved me. Now, she doesn't know this, but I thought it would be best to have a story. It involves me and my mom, but it shows how much she had to put up with, but also her caring attitude. For those that knew me, I was a very rambunctious little kid, and I had great ideas. I thought they were great ideas um, of different things to do. And one day I decided it'd be a great day to give our cat pig a bath. And not any ordinary bath, but a bath in the toilet because that was the easy, it was easy accessible. After giving this bath, I walk into the living room to my mother with a drenched cat not moving and me shirtless. I don't know how I got shirtless or why I thought it was a good idea to give the cat a bath in a toilet with scratches all up and down my body. My mom looked at me. I, I think she cared for me. But I think she went to the cat first because she thought it was dead. (laughs) She took the cat, squeezed it, and it lay out a meow. So she knew it was alive. She put it in the shower, put some towels over it, and I think the next day it got up, was alive. And I think it was two weeks after it left our house. It didn't want to be there anymore. (laughs) That shows you a little story about uh, our growing up a little bit. But it shows my mom caring for the cat. She also cared for me. I think she took care of my scratches or she put the shirt over and said, don't show anybody. But, you know. (laughs) Well, you can ask her after the service about how that story went after that. But today, as we were, I was thinking of Mother's Day, one of the things that I love doing is finding fun things or poems or, and it started like five years ago and I think I made my mom cry and so then she said I have to keep doing it because you know she loves it when she gets to cry. But I want to start off with you know you are a mother if. Now these are for mothers that had kids so you know you're a mother if or have or you were a mother to little kids if this. You know you were or are a mother when it's perfectly normal to include poop in daily conversations. <laughs> you know you are or were a mother when the sound of silence worries you. You know or you were or are a mom when you haven't gone to the bathroom alone in six years. 
You know you are or were a mom when you consider it a small victory when you shower and brush your hair by nap time. You know you were or are a mom when you turn on Netflix and automatically turn on a cartoon before realizing your kids have been in bed for an hour. You know you are or were a mom when you try to have a conversation with somebody but keep getting interrupted to shout out things like, don't eat that, get down from there, do you need a timeout? <clears throat> you know you are or were a mom when you finally go on a date night with your husband and spend the whole time thinking or talking about your kids. You know you are a mom when you have hundreds of pictures on your phone of your baby doing nothing, but being the love of your life. Do you have lots of photos of me, Mom? Oh, she shook her head. Yes, yes. So to start off this Mother's Day, I have a little poem for our mothers up there. And this is my mom. Clara's watching online because she didn't know what I was going to do. Clara, you're not here, so you don't get to be in the photo. It's just Jesse and I. <laughs> so as of right now, Mom has two kids. <clears throat> Because we're the best kids. Okay. <laughs> and this poem's called Thank God for a Mother's Love. There is no love like a mother's love, no stronger bond on earth, like the precious bond that comes from God to a mother when she gives birth. A mother's love is forever strong, never changing for all time. And when her children need her most, a mother's love will shine. God bless these special mothers. God bless them, everyone, for all, tear, for all the tears and heartache and for the special work they've done. When her days on earth are over, a mother's love lives on through many generations with God's blessings on each one. Be thankful for our mothers, for they love with a higher love from the power God has given and the strength from up above. Now, to you mothers out there, when I was preparing for a sermon, I did not know that I would be preaching on Mother's Day. And as I was thinking of how do I preach to mothers, obviously, I'm not a mother. And my only criteria is that I was a son of a mother who loved me very much. And as I thought about how to bring God's word today, I'm going to make it very general, and hopefully your mothers are okay with this, because I'm going to be preaching to all of us, because I know my mother's hope was a son, sons, and daughter to walk in God's love, to someone that followed God and that loved God with all their heart. And today, I want to talk about walking in God's promises. And we're going to be in Psalm 16, and we're going to look at David. And we're going to study David's life. Now, Pastor Kyle's been preaching from Romans, and we've been looking at Paul in a study of Paul. And as I was looking at Paul and David, David and Paul, there's something about their walk with the Lord. They had such a heart for following him and wanting him to be 
the center. So as we come in today, I want to challenge us to be thinking, what does it look like for me to be walking in God's promises? And Raul kind of stole my punch already because I wanted to challenge us. There was going to be a disclaimer at the start of this. When I start preaching about walking in God's promises, and if you don't know who Christ is, this is going to kind of seem foreign. And also, for those that have the wrong foundation and don't have a life built in Christ, it's going to sound weird and hard because it's not the things that we gravitate towards. So I want to challenge you for those at different points in our lives of as we listen to God's word, who do you view God as? Who do you see him as? What do you know about him? Do you know of him or do you actually know God? Will you pray with me before we start? Jesus, Lord, I just want to give this time to you. Thank you for the opportunity to bring your word. Thank you, Lord, for Mother's Day, for this chance to celebrate mothers, Lord, but also that we get to glorify you as we read your word. Lord, I pray for the people that don't know who you are, that you'll speak to them. Lord, I pray for the ones struggling. You know their struggles. You know what they're holding on to. I pray that you speak to them as well. And Lord, I pray for us that are walking with you. We get distracted. We lose sight of who you are. And Lord, I pray that as we come into your word, you would be the one honored, you would be the one glorified, and that we can seek you through it all. In your name, amen. So before we dive into our text, I want to give us a starting point. And something that I have found very useful in my learning career in school is I do not do well with just words. And I love how the Bible paints images, gives us imagery to explain parts of his character, explain different things about when we walk away from him. Like, you can think of Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord are strengthened by him, and he lifts them up on wings like eagles. We can picture the eagle wings, them flying, how majestic it is. And it describes that hope in the Lord as that. Or even Psalms 37. Or I think it's Proverbs 37. No, it's Psalms 37. Of the evil will wither away like grass. And just that imagery of things that we see day to day, Christ uses to cement that point. He also gives clear instruction as well. And in the same way, Christ uses imagery of practical things and relates them to our relationship with Christ. The big one being walking or running or a path. And I'm going to start 
blurting out a lot of these passages here that talk about that so we can get a picture because there's a lot. 2 Corinthians 5, 6-7. Therefore, being of always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Psalms 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Galatians 5, 16 to 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposite to one another, in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Colossians 2, 6-7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Proverbs 3, 5-6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. We talked about a lot of walking, making our path straight, how his word is a lamp, a light to our path. And then Hebrews 12 talks about running a race. Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witness surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In each of these verses, and you can see this in David's life, Paul's life, you can take any of those People mentioned in the Bible. When it's talking about this relationship, this walking in the Lord, there's a point A and there's a point B. There's a start and there's a finish. But there's a progression. There's an in-between. And it's a constant journey. You're not going to know every turn or path or fork in the road or obstacle. It's about perseverance and seeking the Lord in His Word and prayer when it comes to our relationship and walk in Christ. Now, I said this wasn't for mothers, but this can be compared to a journey as a mother. As a first-time mother, you're not going to know everything to do with a child. You can read all the help books, You can ask advice, but a lot of it's trial and error. My mom did not lose me, so it's a lot of success. (laughs) And I seemingly came out good. But it starts what you're rooted in and the foundations you built. 
I was able to see God's love in my mom every time that her and dad would discipline me, every time that they would be at a soccer game, every time that they would come when I was having a hard time as a kid. But it starts with that root and that foundation of what you are rooted in. Same as a Christian. As you start as a Christian, you're not going to know everything about God. You can come with the mindset of, I need to know who I'm following. You're going to know parts. You're going to know character. It's important to know who God is. But you're never going to fully comprehend the omnipotence of God. Because our brains are finite. We're not infinite like God. And that's important to understand about ourselves. John Eldridge says this quote, Only by walking with God can we hope to find the path that leads to life. That is what it means to be a disciple. After all, aren't we followers of Christ? Then, all by, then by all means, let's actually follow him. Not ideas about him. Not just his principles. Him. Our passage today is Psalm 16. And as I was thinking about walking in God's promises, David is called a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect. Not because he stood above the crowd. It's because he kept coming back to God. He knew he was sinful. He messed up a lot. But he knew God was powerful and God was above it all. Psalm 16 is a psalms that there's not many of. I like history and finding out what things mean. And this psalm is a, I'm sorry for those Hebrew scholars. If you've heard me preach before, I suck at pronouncing Hebrew words, so I'm sorry. There's another disclaimer for you as I start my sermon. But this is a miktam of David. Now, the Hebrew word miktam is unknown. It's hard to figure out what it actually means. Some scholars think it means golden, so they call it the golden passage, or like similar to an engraving, so something that should be engraven on our heart. And there's only six of them in total in Psalms. One is Psalm 16, and then the others, I think Psalm 16 was kind of thrown at the front, and then Psalms 46 to 50 are the rest of them. And these Psalms begin with prayer. They imply trouble. They abound in holy confidence and close with songs of assurance, safety, and joy. David in Psalm 16 sets us a guideline for us as we walk in the Lord, and he shows us four essential, I call them my four C's, as we walk in our relationship with Christ. So, we open up the Psalm 16. I think I said it enough, so hopefully you guys opened up to it. But we'll be in Psalm 16, starting in verse 1. 
There's 11 verses. We can do this. Here we go. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good beside you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. In Psalm 16, there are a lot of things that David teaches us. And we're going to start with those four C's. And that first C is that we need to be crying out to God. You can see verse 1, David is crying out to God. Preserve me, O God. David asked God to work. For I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. You also see in verse 1 that David rests in God. It's not, Lord, I'm struggling. I need your help to know what to do. It's, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I know that all these other things, it's not going to sustain me in my life. David also realizes God's power. You can see that in verse 2 and 3 when it said, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are majestic ones in whom is all my delight. David realizes that he has nothing apart from God. And that same question can be asked to us. When we're walking with God daily, do we cry out to God? Do we ask God to work? Do we rest in God in every situation? Do I realize God's powerful, or do my actions actually acknowledge that God is powerful in every situation? Or do I still try to say, hey, I can do this, and realize that I have nothing apart from God? Psalms 34, again, we're staying with David. It's the study of David. We're going to have a lot of Psalms. Psalms 34, 17 to 19 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and save those who are crushed in spirit. 
The afflictions of the righteous are many, but the Lord rescues him from them all. David knew he could cry out to God because he hears. Because he is a God that loves us. Part of his character. Which is important to note that each of these C's is rooted in David seeing God's character. Different aspects of God's character. Who he is. The second C is... We need to come to God and deny ourselves. David realized the destruction the world brings. We read a little bit of 2 and 3, but in verse 4 it says, The sorrows of those who have bartered another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. David also had an intensity of not following the nations in speech and action. Jesus, you can look at Matthew, you can look in the Gospels, he challenged the way the Jewish people thought. It's not just keeping the commandments, it's the way that you approach something. It's the way you think about something. It's how are you guarding your hearts? Paul in Romans 12, says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. That idea of coming to God and denying ourselves is we have to actually say, no. I have these wants, I have these desires, I have to actually come to God and say, this is yours. We're fleshly. We're worldly. We have these things that distract us. Paul had the setup of he looked at the mercies of God. That is how we're able to come to him and to serve him. And not, he also had to include, not to think of yourself more highly. Oh, he must have dealt with some pride too. Dwight L. Moody says, if I walk with the world, I can't walk with God. Short, sweet, simple, direct. The third C that we see from David is that we need to make a deliberate effort to choose God in our lives based on God's character. David said God is his chosen portion based on that God holds his lot. A lot of these things in this Psalm 16, which I love, is that David, when he is saying, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup, you support my lot, he's making this decision. He's choosing God because of what God's doing. Not because of what David's doing, but because of what God's doing. You hold my lot. How 
Did David know this? He could see it in his life, but also it shows that David was active in God's word. Because if you look at Lamentations, that's not one that's usually used a lot. Lamentations 3, 19 to 25, you get to see where this chosen portion comes from. Remember my misery and my homelessness, the wormwood and the bitterness. My soul certainly remembers and is bent over with me. I recall this to my mind, therefore I wait. The Lord's act of mercy indeed do not end, for his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I wait for him. The Lord is God to those who await him, to the person who seeks him. No, David is not a plagiarizer. But he could actually attest to lamentations of what this means. He chose God as his portion because he held him through many different things in David's life. David says, I bless the Lord who gives my counsel. Now, the Hebrew word for bless is barak, and it means to kneel by implication to bless God and act of adoration. So you simply could say, I kneel before the Lord who gives me counsel. He comes under subject to God's counsel, to where God's directing him. Because he chose him. I choose God. Now, there's something interesting about this relationship with God. Is that God gives us the faith. God does the work through his Holy Spirit. We have to make a deliberate act to choose God because we are fleshly. We are sinful. Because of our sin, we're set apart from God. We can't be with God. But he sent his son so that we can have an opportunity to be with him. But we have to realize the work is God's work, not our work. And lastly, in part of choosing, David sets the Lord always before him and knows that because God is at his right hand and David will not be shaken. He had that insurance that God was walking with him in all situations. You can look at David's life when he's running away from Saul, when he's king, when he commits sin with Bathsheba. You can go down the list, and there's many times David messed up or David seeked the Lord, but God was still with him, and that's what he had to hold on to. David knew God's faithfulness and God's character in his life, and he allowed that to be the rock that he held on to. Not anything spectacular that he did. Not that he's, whoo, I'm number one because I'm a God man after God's own heart. That's not what he held on to. 
He held on to God's work in his life. The shepherd boy that became king. And this 4C, many times we look past it. We have to cry out to God. We have to come to God. We have to choose God. But we need to have comfort in God's work in our lives. In construction, when you're building something, it doesn't look pretty when you start with. The demolition, it looks ugly. I know for me, I always have to have band-aids because I get little bruises and I cut open my hands or something bad happens. My dad never let me around uh, power tools because they, he thought it was too dangerous for me. Look, I still have all my fingers. <clears throat> but after you put in the hard work, you get to see beauty that comes. But at the beginning, it's not fun. But this idea of we need to have comfort in God's work in our lives, we have to realize where we're at. Remember, David had a lot of heartache. If you look throughout all the Psalms, there were some sad Psalms where he was lamenting to the Lord, talking to the Lord because it was hard, the things he was going through. But in this Psalm, David's heart was glad. His whole being rejoiced and his flesh felt secure because he knows God would not abandon his soul to Sheol. Or, let his Holy One see corruption. God makes known to him the path of life. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. And at God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Again, I talked the coming, the choosing God. This having comfort comes from what the Lord does. God's work in our lives. As we walk in God's promises, it's walking in what God does in our lives or what he shows us in his word. Sometimes it's not always clear when you're going through a trial, when you're going through something hard, going through a loss, going through a loss of job, injury. But God says in that work, have comfort. In who he is. And David gave us five different things. There's probably more in his life. But he gave us five things. He knows God would not abandon his soul to Sheol. Or let his Holy One see corruption. God makes known to him the path of life. In God's presence there's a fullness of joy. And at God's right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In Psalms 27, 1-6... through 6, and then verses 13 to 14. Again, this is from David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. If an army encamps against me, my heart will not fear. If war rises against me, in spite of this, I am confident. One thing I have asked from God that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord 
and to meditate in his temple. For on the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. He will hide me in the secret place of his tent. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I certainly believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. David was able to say these things because he knew the things that come from God when you waited for him, when you had comfort in him, when you had comfort in his work. Yes, we are at the conclusion, the final point. And this is where we get to have some personal reflection. Now, when I was looking through this passage and trying to come up with a conclusion, I got stuck. Not because of the passage and its direction. I had trouble because of how this passage and David's walk with the Lord convicted and challenged me. I could see the progression. I could see that we need to cry, come to God, choose God, and have comfort in his work. But I'm very selective when I do those things. It's hard having a relationship with God because I'm so tempted by my emotions, by the things going on around me, by what I want. David didn't write Psalm 16 to sound good. He meant it and lived it. The same goes with all the other Psalms he wrote. I don't know about you, but I'm convicted because I'm selective in my faith. And these aspects or guidelines David shows, and I have a hard time showing them daily. And we're going to take it one by one. I'm going to let you know I'm not perfect. My mom might say I am, but I'm not perfect. And we're going to start with the four C's. I'm going to show you where I'm not perfect. I cry out to God when I'm going through something hard or I need something. Sounds good. Here's the question that I want to ask you. And me. Do I cry out to the Lord in everything? Because he is able to hear and sympathize me. Hey God, I'm going through this. I need you. Hey Lord, this is going great. I'm going to praise you for this. Many times, it's when I need something. I don't always cry out to God when things are going good. And that hurts. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace for the help at the time of our need. You can probably think, for those that do believe in Christ, when you first came to the Lord, you cried out to Him because you realized you were a sinner. You realized that you needed Him in your life. That doesn't stop at the beginning, the point A. That needs to be continually throughout your life. We're going to be tempted by sin every day, and we need to be crying out to God day by day. Here we go, point two. I come to God sometimes, but most of the time it's when I'm caught and I feel guilty. Here's our question. Do I come to God in every circumstance and lay it before him, not trusting in my own abilities because I know God is the one in control? John Piper says this, Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross. Cherish it for the treasure that it is and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolish to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. Do I come to God with the cross on my mind? His love, his sacrifice, his mercy. Again, you see God's character coming. When I cry out to God, do I cry out to God because he can sympathize with me, because he hears me, because he loves me? Do I come to God because he's sovereign, because he's overall, because he's merciful, because he's just? Number three, I choose God when it's easy and makes sense. I don't know about you, but my mind's like, yes. That makes sense. I should choose God in that. And then when there's things of like, oh, this is logical. I think I can do this on my own. I got this. And then it doesn't usually go the way that I think it should. And the question we should ask ourselves is, do I choose God no matter what? Because he is sovereign and can uphold me. He's the one that can hold us in all circumstances. I don't know what it is about Charles Spurgeon, but somehow he always finds a way into my sermon. Charles Spurgeon says this, You believe in God for your soul. Believe in him about your property. Believe in God about your sick wife or your dying child. Believe in God about your losses and bad debts and declining business. Do we choose God in all circumstances? And that fourth one, I have comfort in the things that are visible. Yeah, God gave me that job. God gave me a loving family. We have comfort in these things that are visible. Here's a question that was really convicting to me. Do I have comfort knowing that I'm a broken vessel, that God is working on in the hard and good times? 
That comfort comes in God working. It's nothing I bring. I'm broken. God talks about he's the potter. And how he forms the clay. In the same way with us, he's working. He's putting the pieces back together. This last question is for us to think. And I want to challenge us as I close. Is do I walk in God's love and with his character and attributes on my mind? Or do I try to sustain my life with my love and my actions? I want you to think about that. Do I walk in God's love and his character and attributes on my mind? Or do I try to sustain my life with my love and my actions? Do I base it on my words? Do I base it on God's work? God's work on the cross in our lives. Every day. It's not just saying, Lord, I choose you at the beginning. It's, Lord, I choose you every day. Daily, I'm going to take up that cross and follow you. I'm going to choose you when I love and direct my wife. When I discipline and love on my children. When I come and have to deal with that hard coworker. When my kids mess up and do something wrong. When I mess up and do something wrong. When I lose somebody I love. This walking in God is in so many different facets of our life. It's not just simply following Him. It's walking in God's example and what he's laid before us, and what he's done, the work that he's done. And that's where we need to sit. I thought what better way to end a sermon than go with this well-known person, Henry Ford, who says this, Those who walk with God always reach their destination. Henry Ford wasn't known for his relationship with God. He was known for Ford, cars. But he says, those who walk with God always reach their destination. And I think that's something that we need to think about. As we get the bumps in the road, as we get the different things that come in our life, are we walking with Him? Are you actually walking with the Lord right now? My heart as I'm coming up here preaching the Word isn't to look good. Isn't to just have some fancy little sermon out here. It's to preach God's word and to challenge us as a body of Christ, are you actually walking in the Lord in every situation of your life? 
What are the things that you're building in your life right now? Do you actually know who Christ is or do you know of him? This is good. As we look at Psalm 16 or as you go through it this week, I challenge you to really think of what are those priorities in your life? Is God actually a priority as you walk in him? Will you join me in prayer? Jesus, Lord, we're broken. We need you. Lord, thank you for your word, for the truth that it has, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that we can lay it before you. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the people struggling right now. You know the different things that we're thinking about, that we're holding on to. And Lord, I just pray for the people here today, Lord, that as your word was being read, that you would be at the center. That you would convict. That you would work. And that you would bring people to you. Lord, I pray that as we think of your word, that you would be the one honored. Lord, as we walk day by day, we can look at you and your character, how much you loved us how much you want a relationship with us. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen.